Welcome to the Light from Light podcast with me, Daniel, and you, Brother Thomas Therese, comma, OP. So happy Easter to all of you. Christos Anesti. Oh, how do you respond to that in Greek? Uh, Alathos Anesti. Just as you said. So the first bit, Christos Anesti means Christ is risen. And the second bit, Alathos Anesti means he is truly risen. Alleluia. <laughs> Alleluia. Happy Easter. Brother Thomas, how was your Easter celebration? Oh, no, it was... It was great, thanks. Yeah, no, it was good. I actually spent some of obviously recording some of these things with you, uh, which was lovely. Yeah, wonderful. But it was good. The liturgical celebrations in church and everything went very well. You can find them on YouTube at the on the God's Dogs YouTube channel. And how was your singing? Oh, (laughs) well, I made the mistake of polishing a lot beforehand, which then made my voice go really sort of sore. Um, So, I, I mean, I did fine. Yeah, I did fine. There were very, very high parts to sing, but yeah, no, I did all right. I think you did. I think you did well. Did you watch? Yeah. Oh. Tuned in. Nice. So this week we've titled the episode, What Happened Next? Because in, in the last few episodes, we've covered quite a lot of what happened in Holy Week. We've covered the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, not all of his life, but his death and then his resurrection. But one really important thing to mention is that we try to understand these things in order that we might believe and have life in Jesus's name. So it's not just an intellectual grasp of what has happened and have an understanding of the different events. It's that we might believe and have life in Jesus's name. And those particular words come from John's gospel. Yeah, he mentions this in, in chapter 20, because the whole point of Jesus coming, living, dying and expensive resurrection is so that we might be invited to participate in God's family in Jesus's body in the in the church that's exactly it he also wants us to be part of his as we find in 1 Corinthians his mystical body the church and to be united to him for all eternity not only in in the next life but also in this life too and we do that by participating in the sacraments and the life of the church, the life of the of the of the Christian community, uh, and of course we find in Matthew sixteen eighteen, Jesus says to Peter, "You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it." So Christ Himself founds a church. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell not prevail against it. So I will build my church. Jesus Christ intended to found and to build a church. And it's the same church which in the first letter of Timothy 3.15, I think, where the church is called the pillar and the ground of truth. So that's a bit about what we're going to be talking about today. And um, I'll unpack a little bit of Matthew 16 and 1 Timothy 3.15 a little bit later. But I think the first thing, if I'm not mistaken, that we're going to talk about is Acts. And we're going to point out to you some of the similarities perhaps between the church in Acts and the church of our own day. I'd encourage you after having been through the the other podcasts that we had about Monday Thursday uh, where the Eucharist and the priesthood are established, Good Friday where these things are connected to Jesus's passion and death and then the resurrection. Uh, after reading perhaps the gospel narratives of those sort of sections, move on and perhaps read the book of Acts and you'll see then that, as as Dan said, what happens next? What what happens that when Jesus Christ says it is finished in the Gospels, actually a lot of the work had just begun. 
So the first part of the of Acts of the Apostles follows people like Peter and John and James. We have the Great Council of Jerusalem. And then the, the second half follows more Paul and his companions. There are two things in particular that I draw your attention to, one of which early on in Acts 3.1, Peter and John go to the temple at the hour of prayer. So they're keeping hours of prayer. Now, in Jesus' time, there were three hours of prayer, really, that were kept, 9 a.m., 12 uh, midday, and 3 p.m. Now, these are also have some sort of parallel, of course, in the life of Christ, because it was at 9 a.m. that Jesus was first uh, nailed to the cross. It was at 12 p.m. Traditionally, the, the devotions that we have, the treore, uh, sort of uh, go between 12 o'clock and 3 p.m., where we meditate on those last words of Christ. And then at 3 p.m., Jesus breathed his last and gave up his spirit. So that's a, a very interesting thing to note that's noted in the Acts of the Apostles, that Peter and John go to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock. This, of course, is also the time that Jesus breathed his last and gave up his spirit. Just praying three times a day, we find, I think, in, in Daniel evening, evening, morning and noon. So that, they, that there are hours of prayer that are kept by the apostles, by the disciples, uh, that they go to the temple in order to pray three times a day, this mirrors in many ways religious life, you know, the life of monks and brothers and sisters and nuns and things, because we also keep hours of prayer. We pray the Psalms, some pray the Psalms seven times a day or five times a day. Here in this community, we pray morning prayer, we pray midday prayer, and we pray evening prayer. But every priest and every religious is supposed to keep morning prayer, the office of readings, midday office, Vespers and Compline, so five times a day. So there's a parallel there between the early church and uh, and today and that. So would that be because it's a link back to the early church? Is that why they do? Yeah, this is yeah, this is something that goes that goes right the way right the way back. Religious life as we now have it. Uh, maybe we could have another episode of religious <laughs> life <laughs> and the origins of religious life as we now have it. Sort of develops in many different ways. Saint Benedict is very often called the founder of monasticism in the West. But of course, we have the rule of St. Pacomius. I don't want to go into that because it's it might confuse some people. So let's just say monastic uh, life, St. Pacomius, the rule of St. Pacomius, and the Desert Fathers and people like that. Never heard of him. It's basically like, you know, people going off into the desert and living a life of prayer and abstinence and fasting and charity. And they would give direction, spiritual direction to people and things. When are you going off to the desert? Oh, stop it. I wrote a God's Dogs post about this. I prefer to see my <laughs> spiritual life as more of a garden than a desert, a garden that's full of saints and people. And this sort of, you know, going away to be alone with God doesn't, me personally, doesn't make too much sense to me because I think whenever you're, you're in inverted commas, alone with God, I think you're never alone because the Trinity is a Trinity of persons. You have Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So you, it's always a package deal. You always get all three. <laughs> and not only that, wherever God is, the communion of saints is too. And so I carry people with me when I pray. I pray to the saints. I pray for the holy souls in purgatory. I pray for my, I pray for my family and friends. And I pray in the, in the presence of the Trinity. So the communion of saints then is with me also then when I pray. So I'm never really alone with God, which is why I 
I mean, a lot of I, I've had this conversation with my brothers before, where they sort of say the desert isn't what you think it is, Thomas. Um, so, so I wouldn't I wouldn't disparage anybody for using that language by any stretch of the imagination. It's got a long history in the church, and it's it's right and just that people can can use that 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 language to describe their prayer life. It just tends to be not what how I describe things uh, personally. Well, let's go. Let's get back to our topic. You know, one of the interesting things I don't know if you know this, brother Thomas. But the the word acts is something which would would have been used quite a lot in the early church, but also before the early church. So you you find like Aristotle uses the in Greek he uses the Greek word for acts in order to like document the actions of the city or city leaders, um, and even we have like one of the most famous uh, accounts or acts in the first century is the acts of caesar augustus so the point of writing them is like a biography of what they've achieved in order that they would be an example for others so the when luke talks about the acts of the apostles he's setting them out as an example of christian living this is how christ lives out his life in the body of the church mm. uh, which i think is quite an interesting thing to mention mm. and the acts of the apostles is broadly written in what we might call like three waves or three parts so as brother thomas mentioned earlier you find in the the first part you have this sending of the holy spirit by jesus and in this sort of period the focus is on the apostles witnessing to those in jerusalem and then in the second part you have this persecution which scatters the christians and then they in turn take the gospel to judea and samaria and then in the third act you have the church's mission to the gentiles so the gospel goes out further to the ends of the earth and this fulfills jesus's words at the beginning of acts he says you shall be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the end of the earth but do you know what i really like brother thomas is that the if you're reading acts at the end it just finishes abruptly like there's no there's no like this is the conclusion thanks for reading <laughs> there's just it just ends the story finishes with uh, paul in uh, under house arrest in rome and then it just finishes we don't hear again about what happens to paul or peter uh, in the in the gospels although we do hear sorry in acts or in the Bible, but we do hear outside of them, outside of the, the Bible, what happens to them. But I think the, the point there is that the mission of the church is supposed to continue with those who've read the Acts of the Apostles or heard the Acts of the Apostles. So now the, the mission of the church continues with us. We are sent out as witnesses to the ends of the earth to continue this mission of bringing the good news to the world. That's absolutely right really interesting what you said actually about uh acts I'd, I'd forgotten actually that this is something that obviously has a much wider usage in the sort of the things that they have undertaken the acts of the apostles the things that the apostles have undertaken and it's absolutely right that you know we should also see our own lives as being part of uh that saving action of christ and a, a continuation whilst we're not in the apostolic age anymore period of revelation is over that doesn't mean that uh, christ isn't working any longer in our lives our lives are also part of that story and uh, you're exactly right to sort of say you know it ends abruptly and the intention is that now israel has been reconstituted as the church and the story of the church is only just beginning 
and we are also part of that story. Just on beginning, that's a really interesting thing you mentioned about beginning. Didn't didn't plan this, but at the beginning of Acts, Luke says to he's talking to Theophilus. He says in his earlier book, i.e., the Gospel of Luke, all that Jesus began to do and teach, I have told you about. So everything that Jesus began to do. So the idea is that it continues now with with the church in Acts. Absolutely. Absolutely. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, actually, in many ways, the work had just begun. What had been completed was exactly what you were saying last time with the with the the inauguration of the new covenant, the inauguration and the constitution of the church. Now, the constitution of the church within the new covenant, the, the gathering together uh, of the tribes to to constitute, constitute the church uh, had finished. But actually, the mission of the church to preach the gospel for the salvation of souls to bring people to Christ, to unite people to Christ within those visible structures of, of, of his church had just begun. So you're quite right. There is in one sense an accomplishment, but as Jesus says this, of course, as you pointed out, as he drinks of the fourth cup, as you said in, was it in the Good Friday episode that we did? Probably the Good Friday one. Yeah. Uh, so there is, in a sense, a sort of a consummation and a sense in which it is finished, but also a sense in which you're quite right, something has just begun. And that's exactly what's happening at the beginning of Acts. Well, what's just begun? Read Acts and find out. You know, you have miracles happening at the hands of Peter, people touching Peter's shadow. We had readings today in Mass of somebody sat outside the gate of the temple called Beautiful, and he asks for some some coins or something from Peter uh, and John. And Peter says to him, uh, I don't have any gold or silver to give you, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I say, arise. And he, and he, you know, he rises, he, he sits up and things. And we see these sort of parallels. You're quite right. We see these parallels between the Gospel of Luke and Acts. So, for example, just, just as a centurion who's spoken well of, by the Jewish people, he sends slaves or servants to Jesus to ask Jesus to come to his house. In a similar way, a centurion who's, again, spoken well of by the Jewish people, sends people to Peter, asking Peter to come to his house. In uh, the Gospel of Luke, we also see uh, resurrection and Jesus says to the dead, you know, arise in Acts. You have another situation of a widow and another resurrection and Peter again says, rise, and the dead woman then sits up. You know, even the criticism that people receive, you know, is is very similar. You also see a certain sort of a passion narrative of Paul and Paul being warned about what would happen to him if he goes to Jerusalem. You Just as Jesus goes up to the temple, you see Paul going to the temple. There are many, many parallels in Acts between what happens to Jesus and what happens to the apostles and things that Jesus says will happen to them in the apostles that you'll be persecuted happens to the church in Acts. So you have a fulfillment of Jesus's words within the context of the church. And I suppose that actually shows how the church is the body of Christ. There's a saying, I can't remember where it comes from, but wherever the head goes, the body must go as well. So where, mm. where the head, Jesus went, the body must go as well. And we see that in Acts and there are numerous examples where Peter and Paul's lives mirror the life of Jesus and I suppose the point there is that in our lives 
our lives in a certain sense as Christians will mirror the life of Jesus. So there will be yeah. times where we go, well, we go through the big events. Like we're baptized. <laughs> we, we live out some of those big events. But also there will be some times where we receive persecution for, for being Christians, although it may not be the same level. Absolutely. Just as Jesus said, you know, if they persecuted me, so also they'll persecute you. Yeah. And also carrying a cross. Yeah. Pick up your cross and follow me. The The point there is not, it's all doom and gloom. The point is that you are being, as the early church says, div- divinized. You're being made, as Peter says, partakers in the life of Christ by walking behind him. You know that image that's often used of Simon of Cyrene? Like he, he was made to carry the cross behind Jesus. And in doing so, he becomes a Christian because I think I think Paul says that his his sons are Christians, and one of them is a, a leader, a bishop, I think, if I remember correctly. One of his sons is Rufus, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I think that's the tradition. I think I think so. Yeah, his father of Alexander and Rufus, no? Yeah, and I think one of them is actually mentioned elsewhere as being one of the leaders. But the point there is that Simon follows behind Jesus. He carries a cross behind Jesus and he becomes a Christian and then obviously his sons become Christians. Yeah, you said something absolutely uh, absolutely key there. And, you know, it comes back to, well, you know, okay, fine. Jesus Christ died for me to take away my sins and uh, redeem me, to sanctify me, to make me holy, to transform me and transform my life so I can live a life pleasing to God and be totally united to him for all eternity. You know, as you say, to become a partaker of the divine nature, to become one with God. The question is, well, how? What do I do? How do I how do I do it? Do I have to do anything at all? And the answer is yes. Well, you know, you share in the fruits of these things by participating in the new covenant. How do you participate in the new covenant? Not just by living a, a Christ-like life. Uh, yes, that's part of it. Uh, if you love me, keep my commandments, as Jesus says in the Gospel of John. But also, as if you, you'll find in Paul's letters and in the Gospels, by participating in the sacraments. So Paul talks about being clothed with Christ and he connects this to baptism. He also connects being part of Christ's mystical body or grafted onto Christ's body through the Eucharist. So if you read 1 Corinthians, it talks about, it makes connections between the body and sins of the body and things and why these things are so important. And all of these things he connects to the Eucharist and the Eucharist being a constitutive element about how we are made one in Christ. And the reason why the moral life is is uh, so important for Christians is because you become like another Christ. And as Paul says, in, is, uh, in, I don't think it's in 1 Corinthians, I think it's in another letter, he talks about how we're ambassadors for Christ. Well, how you treat the ambassador can be a treasonable offence because the ambassador doesn't represent himself, but he represents, he makes represent another it makes represent the king so how you are treated uh, how you treat your own body how you treat the bodies of others can be to some extent an act of treason against christ himself because we are members of the mystical body made members of the mystical body through baptism through the eucharist through the sacraments and the life of the church that's such um, an interesting thing so we might ask ourselves well what did this early church look like what did this early community of believers look like and in acts 2 we're given an idea of what they well we're given the pillars or foundation of what the early church did and it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and fellowship 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So four things. So the they shared the same faith. So they believed what had been handed on to them by the apostles. They created a community. So they have fellowship with each other. They care for each other, look out for each other. They're centered on the reenactment of the Last Supper. Uh, so where it says that they break bread together. And they're also devoted to a life of prayer, praying for one another, uh, praying to God. And the fruit of this, we, we find in the same chapter in Acts 2, the fruit of this is overwhelming charity, like overflowing charity to those around them, uh, to the pagans. And this obviously converted huge amounts of people, you know, Jews and, and pagans alike. And that's really a, a glimpse of what the church looks like in the early church and also links in you, you said earlier links in with parallels and similarities to how the church should be now yeah and how the, how the church is now i mean we still celebrate the eucharist we still pray many times a day and gather in things the church is still a place of of tremendous charity and things and christ is still present with his church an interesting thing that you were saying about coming together when do these things take place in the early church? I mean, we spoke about 3 p.m. being one of the hours of prayer. But in Acts 20, I think verse 7, it tells us that on the first day of the week, they come together to break bread. So they come together on the first day of the week to celebrate the Eucharist. And the first day of the week, of course, in this calendar is Sunday. So when do they meet? They meet on the day of the Lord, which would be the the day after the the sabbath yeah the day after the sabbath which would then be like the eighth day or the day of the new creation which would be in the jewish calendar the first day of the week which is sunday so even from the earliest times in the acts of the apostles the church meets on sunday to celebrate the eucharist and why do they do it they do it because it's the day on which the lord was uh resurrected brother thomas what about the other things that we have then at uh, when we can gather to worship at mass so we have other things like incense or you know things that we don't see in the early church when they come together because we, we're just given like the real basics of what they do but what about the more like more detailed things that they do like procession of the gospels above your head by the deacon things like that where do they come in yeah so, so like for, uh, let's start with incense right that's a really easy one you'll find uh incense in the book of revelation in, you'll find incense and this is the thing the earthly liturgy mirrors the heavenly liturgy so just as for example the book of revelation i think the book of revelation helps us to understand what the he heavenly liturgy is like i think that's part of that's part of what it's trying to get at the book of revelations divided into two parts the letters given to the churches and also the marriage supper of the lamb and of course at mass we say behold the lamb of god who is of course jesus christ we consume the Lamb of God. We consume the body of Christ to, in order to become the body of Christ. So all of that's in Revelation? All of that's in Revelation, yeah. So you'll, you'll find incense in there. You'll find the covenant meal in there. You'll find two parts, liturgy of the word and liturgy of the Eucharist there. But also you'll find things like incense in the Old Testament, right? You'll find incense uh, mentioned of things like the Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God of hosts that we sing at Mass. You'll find that in the book of Revelation. You'll find that in Isaiah. You'll also find uh, things like, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. So some of the things that we say are in the Gospels, the Gloria, that's in the Gospel of Luke. All of these, all of these things, the Divine Commission, you know, go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Or we make the sign of the cross, not only when we're baptized, but every time we begin 
we begin our liturgies. But yeah, also th- things like incense and things, you'll also, and the, the idea of sacrifice and a covenant meal and blood being shed to inaugurate a covenant and things you also find in the Old Testament in Leviticus, holy, 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 and incenses in Isaiah. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> that covers quite a few of the things that we do. Okay, yeah, I think that covers <laughs> pretty much all of them. <laughs> but I suppose actually that's a really interesting thing. Uh, it reminded me of an interesting thing. So in the Old Testament, the way the Israelites worship God is given to them by God, which yeah. I think is quite interesting. So they, they don't make it up. They're given the, the, I suppose, the rubrics, for want of a better word. Uh, they're given the they're given how to worship God. And as you say, Revelation and even the Gospels and Acts show us how to worship God as well. Yeah. And it mirrors the heavenly liturgy. You know, that's one of the important things. It mirrors the heavenly liturgy. And in the in this liturgy of the new covenant, we don't see a, a um, an appropriation, as it were. But we, we, we do see as a fulfillment. And uh, just to go back to two of the points that I said earlier about, I mean, for example, Matthew 16, 18. Part of the reason for these things, of course, is our apostolic engagement. So, you know, you're patron on this rock. I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Sometimes this is, I mean, this is pointed out to me by my student master. Sometimes uh, Catholics will say, oh, this is a sign that God is protecting the church. Protecting the church from what? The gates of hell. Well, when was the last time you were attacked by a gate? You know, actually, it's the opposite way around. It's the church, the warrior church, the church militant, who is breaking down the gates of hell in order to snatch souls, right? In order to to take souls for heaven for christ so you are peter and on this rock you know when i speak to my first world communion kids i say oh you know peter's the rock what you know what 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 can we you know what can we do with rocks the first thing that most of my kids say is you can throw them at people uh, which is never the answer i'm looking for but actually they're onto something you know we the rock breaks down the gates the rock breaks down the gates and to take those souls so for the salvation of souls so there's this apostolic, there is a functional element, but there's also what we might call an ontological element or an element of being. So it's not just all about our function, but it's also about who we are because we are other Christs. And, and Christ is, it is good simply to be. So it is simply good to be part of the church, which as we've read in you know 1 Timothy 3.15, uh, it's, it's good to be part of the church, partially because it's the pillar and ground of truth. And we are united to Christ. I think we've probably run out of time. There's plenty of other things we can say. So I'm sure we'll have another episode on the church, like the church is a pilgrim people of God and the mystical body of Christ and how the, you know, in Catholic understandings of the church, the visible structure, that sort of hierarchy, which is also charismatic or, or uh, charismatic, just meaning that we all have different gifts. Those different gifts and that hierarchy is understood to be willed by Christ and uh, and is a gift is a gift for her ordering and things and so we can talk a little bit about that maybe another another time. Are you promising more episodes? Uh, you know what would uh what would the podcast be if we weren't? If Brother Thomas wasn't promising more episodes that we still need to get round. Promising more and more episodes, you know, it's a way to keep you coming. It's a way to keep you coming back, Dan. Oh, me or the listeners. <laughs> Maybe a good way to end is just to draw it back to Acts. So 
what you'll find at the very beginning of the book of Acts is that there is descent, the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And this Holy Spirit descends upon the apostles and then they go out to preach the, the good news. They go out as witnesses to Jerusalem, then to Judea, Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. And as we said, the book just ends abruptly. But we are called to carry this on. So we as the readers of Acts, we as Christians, as believers in Jesus, are called to carry on this, to be witnesses to what we have seen and what we believe, which is in Jesus, which is in the faith handed on by the apostles, which is in gathering together for prayer and fellowship. So we are empowered by the Holy Spirit through our baptism, through our confirmation, to then go out to be ongoing witnesses to Jesus and his saving mission to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly right. You know, those things that happened to Christ Monday, Thursday, and his passion, death, and resurrection, and his ascension into heaven, and and the the coming of the Holy Spirit to Pentecost and things, all of those things are there to motivate us to action. You know, we we have a job to do and uh, a people to be. Yeah, exactly. And you'll see that the saints, well, the apostles are really different in style. You think of like Paul is very different from Peter and John and Thomas. They have very mm-hmm. different styles in the way that they go out and witness to to the world but they all go out with urgency they go out sent by god all different charisms different gifts so we as well but they they all go out bold (laughs) they all go out emboldened by the holy spirit to witness to the world anyway we'll be back with another episode very soon so thanks for listening and remember be witnesses to the world oh also like comment share and subscribe Oh, yeah, that's really important. God bless. Bye. Bye.